Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. The interesting part here is, you know, whether you think that's right or wrong, sales afterwards increased by 61%. Yeah. And why was that the case? Well, because people were talking about Marmite a lot. Because a lot of it did evolve around word usage. Use this phrase, not that phrase. Don't say angry, instead say this. And a lot of that had to do with this priming. So what grade would you give me for that? Was that good? Oh, Colin, I, I don't like to grade you <laughs> to your face. Instead, I'll, I'll post a scathing blog post about it later. So, Ryan, one of my favorite quotes that you will undoubtedly be aware of is, and one of the ways I've always lived or run beyond philosophy, has been the Oscar Wilde quote, mm-hmm. yeah, which is, there's only one thing worse than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. Mm-hmm. So looking at just, for me, part of what we do in marketing is just keeping your name out there, basically. And it was really interesting because I read this really good article from a lady called Jennifer Kleinhens. And we will put the link in the podcast summary and in the show notes as well. So that's Jennifer Kleinhens. And she was on uh, media.com. Oh, sorry, medium.com. And she wrote a really good article on priming. The reason I tell you that Oscar Wilde quote is because in that article, it talked about Marmite, which is also one of my favorite spreads on many things, actually. I've heard many stories about Marmite. I haven't heard as many stories about people actually liking Marmite. So (laughs) I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on this. Well, Marmite is one of these products and the advertising says it, you either love it or you hate it. (laughs) And that's absolutely the case. You either love it and I love it or you hate it. Yeah. So this is something you you put on bread or on toast. Yeah. It's, um, it's like Vegemite. Yes. I've heard that as well. Yeah. Which is another thing that people either like love or hate. Yeah. So you you put it on toast or I put it in soup and on beans and anything basically. Are you going to tell me next that it like cures the gout and will restore (laughs) hair? Right. We're not saying it's hydroxychloroquine now, are we? <laughs> or is it just the Marmite flavor of you know, hydroxychloroquine? I, I wouldn't know. It could be. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the reason I mention all that is because in this article by Jennifer, she talked about the fact that during the pre-pandemic, there was a problem. And because of the Brexit, the cost of Marmite was going to go up and they'd announced the cost of Marmite was going to go up. And there was a basically a big bust up between one of the largest grocery stores in the UK called Tesco and Marmite about this. And people got really upset about it, saying that they were Marmite were profiteering or I think it's Unilever were the uh, 
the parent company shouldn't have done this, etc. The interesting part here is, you know, whether you think that's right or wrong, sales afterwards increased by 61%. Yeah. And why was that the case? Well, because people were talking about Marmite a lot. And it was put into people's minds about Marmite. And therefore, it goes back to Oscar Wilde, which is, you know, there's only one thing worse than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. And therefore, it raised the whole subject of priming. And that's what we're going to talk a bit about on the podcast today, is how, what is priming, and how can you use it in your customer experience? So do you want to tell us what it's like from a, what it means from a technical perspective? Yes. So priming is not something we have talked a lot about specifically in the podcast so far, but it touches on a lot of things that we have talked a lot about. So priming is a term that describes, it's almost like a a technical action that happens in a lot of experiments. It also applies to to things out in the the world, out in the universe, but it's also an aspect of an experimental design that psychologists will use. The word priming comes from the old term about priming a water pump. So a lot of old water pumps, you would need to pour a little bit of water into the pump in order to, I don't know what it does, lubricate it or or something, get some leather piece to swell up in order to create the pump action so that the water would come out. So you pour a little bit of water in and then you get more water to come out. And that's the basic idea of priming here is that we're gonna do a little bit of something that will activate some idea in your mind and we'll get a response out because of it. So let me give you an example of a priming study to let you know of of the kind of things that have been investigated and that we're talking about. So this was a study that was run by a friend of mine. She and I went to graduate school together. In one of the experiments that she ran, she had people come into a computer lab to take some surveys and the surveys were evaluating movies. So here's like a a picture, a movie poster, and here's a description of who's in it and, and what the plot is. And then they asked people how much they'd be willing to pay to rent that movie right now. And everybody saw the same list of movies. It was, I don't know, 30 or 40 movies that they got to evaluate. And the the experiment, the prime manipulation, the priming was half of the people went into this computer lab when they had shut the air conditioner off. And so it was approaching 80 degrees in there. It was really warm. It was stuffy. It was uncomfortable. The other half they cranked down the air conditioner. So it was it was something like 60 degrees Fahrenheit. It was really chilly. And they found that it didn't affect their preferences for most movies. So action, comedy, none of that. But it did affect their preferences for romance movies. And when people were in a cold environment, they wanted those romance movies more. They were willing to pay more to watch the romance movies. And what they argued is that feeling cold acted as a prime it activated this desire to feel warm. Oh, I see. And that kind of spilled over and feeling emotionally warm kind of fit that bill close enough. Now, they had another study where they looked at DVD rental data from back in the days when people would rent DVDs and they'd come to them in the mail. And they found that on colder days, people were more likely to rent romance movies. And if it was unseasonably cold, romance movies were more popular, right? So... Priming usually happens at a subconscious level. We're not aware that, oh, I feel chilly, therefore I should want to. It's just that it activates some part of our mind, and that's enough to produce this response out of us. Right. In fact, one of the examples I use is they did a study in a wine store, 
where they were playing French music. Yeah. And lo and behold, the sales of French wine went up by a ratio of five to one. Right. And the interesting bit is if you turn around to the customer and say, why did you buy that wine? They clearly wouldn't say, well, they were playing French music. It's that subconscious element of them not really understanding it, isn't it? Or not understanding why, how it's affected them. Where it's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this gets us back to one of the ideas that we've covered a number of times. Do you want to explain our fishing net metaphor to our listeners? The fishing net. Yes, fishing absolutely. Net. So everybody knows that I think memory is really important in a customer experience. So if you think about it, loyalty is a function of memory. You can't be loyal to something that you haven't recalled or don't remember, basically. The fishing net analogy is actually Ryan's. Imagine that you're you're by the seaside. Imagine that you're in the shallow water and there's a fishing net that's under the water and you pull out the fishing net, but you just lift one knot of the fishing net, okay? So you've got some of the net out of the water, some of the net under the water, but you're looking at this one knot. The importance about this analogy is that that one knot is a customer memory, okay? But the important part here is that that one knot is connected to lots of other knots, okay? Now, the strength of those knots are affected by a number of things, not least of which is some of those things were more emotional than others, just because you're picking up on not, it doesn't mean to say that it's all about every time it's a memory of going to Starbucks. It's not necessarily all related to going to Starbucks. Yeah. So it's not a Starbucks net, but it could be about a memory of that memory, maybe about Starbucks, but attached to it could be other memories about having coffee or locations you've been to and so on and so forth. Excellent. So what grade would you give me for that? Was that good? Oh, Colin, I, I don't like to grade you <laughs> to your face. Instead, I'll, I'll post a skating blog post about it later. Excellent. It's going to blow up on Twitter, but not to your face, not to your face, no. As usual, I thought that was bloody good. <laughs> it was good. It, it was great. And, it, and the reason that I, I asked you to kind of walk us through this again is because this helps us understand what priming does, right? So if in this metaphor, the water represents our subconscious and pulling some of those knots above the, the level of the water means bringing it into consciousness or aware that we're thinking about it. What priming does is it pulls some of those knots close to the surface. So if I make it cold, you're aware that it's cold. That is, you're consciously aware of that. And so that knot of coldness and everything associated with it, all those memories of coldness, some of those may have like pulled above the surface. But under the surface, maybe this desire to feel warmer and the memory that when you are thinking about romance, you feel kind of warm on the inside. And that probably hasn't broken the surface. But because you pulled up a part of the net, now other knots are now closer to the surface. You've primed one knot and then the other ones that are around it are now closer to the surface where they can start to influence your behavior, even if you're not aware of it. Yeah. And and I think that's such a great analogy. And the interesting part for me is when you then, because of the things that have happened to you in between time, as it were, when you then 
save that memory, yeah, then effectively it's been altered by those things as well. Yeah, the net's constantly changing. Yeah, which is interesting from a altering your customer memory perspective. But let's not get off the subject. The interesting part, I guess, is that some of those knots around it can be different things like the images or pictures. So it could be an advert that you saw the night before or as you walk past the the aisle in the grocery store, you see the same picture that makes you go, oh, yeah, that's what you know they said. Oh, yeah, that was a two-for-one offer, wasn't it? Or, or it could be, I mentioned Starbucks, it could be just the smell of Starbucks. Have you ever been into a Lush store? No. So Lush is an interesting organization. Lush sell, um, I don't know how to describe it, bath salts. Oh, okay. Soaps, various different things. Kind of a bath and body works. Yeah, that's a good description. But typically it's sort of handmade or not mass produced. And the other interesting bit for me is, is just the smell. I mean, you can tell there's a Lush store 100 yards away, basically. And you can tell who's been in the Lush store because they go around um, <laughs> with a very nice very nice aroma afterwards. Smell is a really, really important uh, sense, isn't it? it? It evokes a lot of, a lot of uh, thoughts in our minds. Yeah. A lot of subliminal messaging, as it's talked about, is a form of priming, right? So if you smell something, you're probably aware that you're consciously smelling something, but that smell is going to pull up a part of that net and that's going to pull a lot of other things up to the surface, maybe including a desire to go into the store or to order that coffee, maybe some positive feelings that you have that are memories that are associated with it. All kinds of things can serve as primes. Images that you see, smells that you smell, things that you hear, things that you remember, all of those can serve as primes. What is your digital or physical experience like from a customer perspective? What should you change? How do you compare against your competition? Whether you're a small, medium or large size organization, why not let me or one of the team review your digital or physical experience by undertaking an experience health check? In this short and affordable engagement, we will act as a customer. And if we can't practically do that, we'll talk to some of your customers and we'll assess your experience against best practice. We will then provide you with a series of actionable recommendations for change. If you're interested in finding out more, just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash healthcheck. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash healthcheck. And the interesting bit for me is when you start thinking about, you start thinking about this and you start applying the the customer experience lens, it makes you think, what do some organizations think they're doing by putting some of the music on hold that they use? Yeah. I mean, how is that priming you? What message are they trying to give out? We haven't talked about this for a while, but let's talk about cable companies. Mm -hmm. You're phoning up because you're bloody internet's gone down for the for the 97th time that week they're trying to sell your bundles and stuff like that and what message is that giving you when you're phoning in feeling that frustrated and and the repeated message that your call is important and they care so much about you and all that serves to me is just a a marker of how much time has passed of them objectively not caring about my call 
and each time the music, which is terrible, pauses, I cringe. Like I, I don't want to hear that message again. And yet I'm hearing it. And all of those things serve as primes. And so it's going to remind you of every other time you've been frustrated and waited online and every other negative feeling that you had. All of these things are going to pull some of those responses to the surface. So are you pulling positive responses to the surface or are you pulling negative responses to the surface? Because these primes are happening all over the place. Yeah. And my apologies if people have heard this story before, but we did a piece of work with an insurance company in the UK where we were looking at the fact that they had a number of repeat calls into a call center. And what we discovered was that, so when people were phoning into the call center, they were placing an order for an insurance product and the agent would turn around to them and say, your policy document should be with you within five days. And 76% of people that had that experience were then phoning back after three days and saying, I'm sorry, but when was I meant to be getting my policy documents? And what we discovered was that the agent was saying, your policy documents should be with you within three days. And it was the word should. Yeah. So we literally changed the word should to the word will be with you in five days. And literally the call volumes moved from 76% down to 6% within three weeks. And again, That for me is another example of priming. You're priming the customer by the words that you're using that there is an element of doubt that it will get to you on time. Yeah. And if there's an element of doubt that that's going to happen and it's important to you, then you're going to take action to try to qualify it. And a bit like the French music in the wine store, when you say to customers, why did you phone back? they didn't turn around and say, oh, well, they said should. If they hadn't said should, I wouldn't have phoned back. They don't realize that that's how they were affected. It's the really importance of the use of those words. So really thinking about the words that you use and experience. And whilst I absolutely dislike scripts, giving people guidance on the type of words that you would prefer for them to use and giving them feedback on not saying the word should, but saying the word will is absolutely appropriate. Yeah. Apple got a lot of press several years ago for some of the ways that they were training their Apple store employees, because a lot of it did evolve around word usage. So use this phrase, not that phrase. Don't say angry. Instead, say this And a lot of that had to do with this priming, right? So these subtle word changes can influence people's reactions to their situation. So can you kind of steer them subtly in a good direction by pulling up some of these more positive associations in the net, as opposed to some of the more negative ones? And therefore, for me, this is where it dives down into the journey mapping. And and we did a popular podcast on the five rules of behavioral journey mapping that you may want to listen to. But for me, this is the type of thinking that you need to think in when you're designing your journeys. So what are you currently priming your customer with that is causing them to do things or that is off message? And what are the important primes that you want to put in there? What music are you going to be putting on hold? 
what images are you going to be using clearly if appropriate what smells what are the words that you want to use and for me all of those things should be heading towards priming them to do something and an action that you want them to give or an impression that you want them to leave with but again for me the issue is it's got to be appropriate so you may want to another psychological I don't know if it's a heuristic or a bias. Anchoring, Ryan, what's the, is that a heuristic or a bias? Anchoring is heuristic. It results in bias. Yeah. Why don't I reverse roles? So what's anchoring, Ryan? So anchoring is where you start with something, typically a number, and then adjust from there. And the bias results in the fact that we typically choose bad anchors and we often under adjust from there. So one demonstration of anchoring is if you, have people list out the last four digits of their social security number and then have them estimate the price for something, you will find that systematically the price that they estimate will be biased towards whatever number they listed out first, even though they know that that has nothing to do with it. A star, mate. Well done. That's very good. Thank you. (laughs) If you think that that's going to improve the score that I give you, I cannot be bought like that. But uh, I do appreciate it. (laughs) but again the issue there is you're putting a thought in somebody's mind exactly that's exactly it. you're then turning around and from there onwards you're saying okay so we've now we purposely put that thought in their mind and in fact i know that there's a sales technique that somebody was talking to me about the other week about you tell a customer the rough price of it because that then acts as an anchor but also means that if the customer can't afford it, you're not going to waste your time on if you're trying to sell them a million pound deal and they can only afford 5,000, you know, there's no point in talking to them, basically. Yeah, I mean, similarly, there's there's lots of evidence that the party in a negotiation who opens, has the opening bid, that becomes an anchor. And so typically it is better to try to to open the negotiations yourself because you'll end up somewhere closer to that neighborhood than if you allow the negotiating partner to open for exactly this reason. Yeah, that must be the reason behind it then. But I think the key issue for me is you need to think about it. And unfortunately, what will be happening today is some of the things that you're priming your customer with, you don't realize you're priming them with. Yeah, And you're priming them to have an expectation that is either unachievable and to be honest with you a lot of advertising is that isn't it you see these great things on tv these great images of what it's going to be like when you interact with this organization and then it's something terrible so as we kind of wrap this up let me provide a a basic explanation for why this happens because i think that might help people anticipate where their customers are going to come from this yep we've talked before about the two systems that people have, these two cognitive systems, the intuitive system and the rational system, you can think of priming as occurring because your intuitive system is always there in the background trying to be helpful, right? So it's monitoring what's going on. And in any setting you're in, when you're trying to make a decision, when you're trying to make an evaluation, your intuitive system is there in the background trying to make you more efficient. And so if some idea is being talked about, your intuitive system will pull up related ideas in case you might need those, right? And so it'll push those closer to the surface so that they're available. And what happens with priming is your intuitive system is monitoring what's going on and sees the prime 
and says, oh, this might be important. And so it pulls up these memories, these thoughts, these feelings, and pushes them closer to the surface in case they might actually be useful to you. And that helps to kind of influence your behavior. So we shouldn't think of priming as something malicious, as something that is kind of turning people against their better interest, of of something that's hijacking them. Instead, we're making ideas available that the intuitive system processes and then can bring to bear for the customer. Yeah, no, and I think that's a really good explanation. The issue for me is, and if we go to our usual question at this point, which is, so what? What does this mean? What does it mean that you do? I think the first thing is recognize that you will be priming your customers now one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. There's no neutral point on this. No, absolutely. And and recognize that that's going to be impacting your customer. The issue for me is, is it deliberate? Did you mean to do it? Is it planned? Is it thought through? First step, understand the primes that you're giving your customer now yeah second step think about whether you want to continue with them third step is given the experience you want to give your customer then what new primes should you be putting in place and again let me complicate matters for people it's not universal different groups of customers will will see feel different primes depending upon, again, what's important to them. So the whole area of segmentation and everything else plays a part in this as well. Anything else you want to add, Ryan, from a practical perspective? Just to reiterate the point that you made, which is an important one, you're already doing this. People's intuitive systems are already on the lookout for these primes because that's what the intuitive system does to try to be helpful. So give some thought to it. Are there ways that you can improve the customer experience by being sensitive to the primes that you're sending out as opposed to being ignorant and potentially making things worse accidentally. Good. Great. So thanks very much, everybody, for listening. Don't forget, you can download the podcast summary, which is just a a one-page capture of all the things that we've talked about on here uh, that you can share with um, people in your organization and just have for your your notes. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks a lot. See you. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.